Welcome to Economically Speaking, the information podcast designed to bring you the latest economic development news in the town and the surrounding area. Hosted by Babylon IDA CEO Tom Dolan. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Tom Dolan, and you are listening to Economically Speaking. This is episode number 32, and uh, we are both thankful and excited to have our guest here today, Kevin Paul, Senior Vice President to H2M Architects and Engineers. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, thanks for coming by. And uh, like I said, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and uh, very interesting subject, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about today. But before we get going, maybe you could just share with our listening audience a little bit about you and, and the work you do and a little bit about your firm. Sure, sure. <clears throat> so I'm, a, I'm an architect at H2M. Uh, I run a division called uh, Private Sector Real Estate, so we focus on uh, private development, um, single-family homes, uh, multifamily homes, assisted livings, uh, pretty much everything that we encounter on a daily basis uh, as, as people living in sure. homes, working in offices. Sure. Uh, I've been there about eight years. Prior to that, uh, I was in private practice on the south shore of Long Island. Um, and <clears throat> actually, since this will be my 30th year dealing with storm hardening issues, so right. uh, I started getting involved after the perfect storm. And yeah. uh, with uh, <clears throat> elevating homes and flood mitigation, moved through into the New York Rising program. Um, and recently, H2M just finished up the Build It Back program in Brooklyn and Staten Island. Oh. Um, so very, very interesting stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and maybe we can kind of jump right into that a little bit as far as uh, you can tell us a little bit about what is storm hardening and, and why is it an important endeavor for municipalities? So storm hardening is, is a term being tossed around. Every time there's, a, there's an event coming or, or a post, um, it's it kind of reflective of how the community as a whole responds and, and, and kind of survives the storms. So storm hardening in particular is um, renovating uh, our infrastructure, okay? Power lines, water lines, sewage, uh, anything that, anything that brings, brings comforts of life to us as part of that, that, that infrastructure community. Um, and, and we really recognize how sorely we miss it after a storm and we have no power for a week or right, we right. can't get water or uh, we can't get to our offices to get work done. So it's kind of critical. Um, H2M has been involved in a number of different storm hardening uh, programs recently just with PSEG to try and make sure that our electrical infrastructure can withstand the type of storms that we've seen, particularly windstorms. Um, we also are involved with sewage treatment plants. Um, water, wastewater, uh, and also um, elevating and, and rebuilding homes along the South Shore uh, and along other areas that are threatened by, by hurricanes, windstorms, and flooding. Sure. And, and, you know, again, as we were speaking before, it was something that we probably, we don't think about it, those things, until we need them. Until, until you, right, until you can't, right, and, and, you know, speaking, you know, in the old days, uh, prior to cell phones, when you had storms, it was tough because... If you had an old princess phone on your wall, you could still get a phone call. But with no lights, no power, it's tough to actually understand what was happening. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, through cell, you can stay in touch with PSEG. You can stay in touch with the local municipality, sure. understand what's happening. Because um, it's critical to, un to really to understand limitations, what's dangerous, what's not dangerous. Um, people remember during, uh, during and after Sandy, the, the green, yellow, and red stickers that were up on people's homes post storm yeah. um, to let them know if it was safe or not to come back in. So, and that goes right back to the storm hardening. You know, if we, if we 
spend the time now to mitigate our homes and our businesses, we won't get the red stickers on our buildings, right? right. We'll be able to kind of weather the storms and, and go right through. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, But I want to talk a little bit about wh what are some of the economic implications of the weather, weather catastrophes and what are some of the economic benefits uh, with, if we prepare for this stuff? Some of the implications, um, not unsimilar to the pandemic we recently went through. So if we can't, if we don't have power, um, typically we can't get to our offices. If the roads are, have been compromised by downed trees or power lines or, or sinkholes, um, we, can't, we can't get to work like we normally would. So uh, that, that losing a week, losing three days, uh, for a lot of us is, a, is kind of an issue. People who are actually paid by the hour who can't work. Right. Significant ec economic impacts. Uh, and for those involved in whether it's you know hospital or critical care, fire, uh, EMT, uh, police, it's it's really difficult to kind of do your job if you can't get to where you need to be. So, the, <laughs> yeah, so the economic impacts of, of not storm hardening are significant. You know, we and, and when times are good, we kind of get nervous about fixing things that we don't think need to be fixed at this particular point in time. Um, however, as we move forward. Um, depending on storms or fires or, or um, you know, even earthquakes, even though we don't see them in New York, we need to be really, really super prepared mm -hmm. because as people can see between the Canadian fires, right, and the smoke coming down yeah. and, the, and the rains we get that flood areas that never flooded before, uh, we need to really be prepared for the, for the things that we don't expect. No, absolutely. Right. I, I, I don't know, but for talking to people too, the winds. The winds. Un unbelievable the last couple of years I, I'm like why do I not remember winds like this and I guess that has to do with it's it's you know we were I, I today's Friday so I think it was either Tuesday or Wednesday we had a rainstorm up 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 in Melville at corporate headquarters and uh, and we had hail okay wow. on June whatever sixth fifth or sixth there was a hailstorm. Yeah, um, yeah so you're right and the rain rain like I've never seen I mean literally raindrops right. huge right. so you just you don't know so so we really need to be sensitive to you know what we need to do as a, as a community um, uh, to make sure that everybody is safe. Yeah. You know, regardless. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And, and you would think, you know, we tend to forget quickly too. Um, you know, we just had the pandemic, and I know that's a different thing. But it's just similar as far as a concept, as far as preparedness. Right. You know, and we do seem to forget quick. Sandy seems a long time ago, and we get back running again, and it's. But these things are still out there. They're out, they're out there. And, and, you know, you see it. I was just looking at some, some uh, statistics. Since 1980, we've had 357 major events that have cost the country over almost $2.5 trillion wow. uh, and caused almost 19,000 deaths. So, and these are all storm-related events that if you look at even just this year through April, seven major events, average of a billion dollars per event, um, and who knows how many lives lost. Um, not all of this is preventable, but it's certainly, if you look at it, you'd be like, What's, what are we doing? Yeah. Like, what are we doing to stop that? Um, or at least to get better prepared for it. No um, and it doesn't matter where you live. If you look at the, if you look at the statistics for the uh, areas with the highest incidence of flood, you know, Kentucky lists in the top 10. Wow. Okay, yeah. so, and that's in the interior of the country, but also has a, a, a huge river system that runs through it. Uh, and we think like, living on the island, our flood issues are, and storm issues are coastal, right? But there's a whole nother, you know, riverine thing going on all over the country yeah. that, that um, is, is just as dangerous. Right. 
That's scary looking too when you, yeah, when, they, when you see that. Yeah. So it leads me into my next question. What what about the insurance planning and, and logistics of this? So so insurance is interesting for anybody who actually has to deal with um, FEMA and flood insurance. Um, they'll be familiar with a new a new program called Risk Rating 2.0. Uh, and previous to, I want to say, probably 2012, um, homes fell into two categories. One was pre-firm, flood insurance rate map, uh, and post-firm. And if you were pre-firm, you were kind of covered under, um, I don't really like to use the word grandfather, but if you, if you were built in a flood zone prior to 1968, um, you were kind of covered by a, um, the, the system kind of paid into your insurance policy. Got it. So you didn't pay the full brunt of your liability insurance. Uh, 2012, the Brigitte's Waters um, uh, Flood Act was 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 legislated into, into law, which started to increase those rates specific to your exact liability. Mm -hmm. So if you lived on the ocean, you were going to pay a higher rate. If you lived on a canal, not quite as high a rate, but still a higher rate because you and I are subsidizing those rates through our tax dollars. Um, risk, risk rating 2.0 um, looks at the, your exact location, the flood zone you're in, your your past history of damage and and you know reconstruction, uh, and what your real what the real liability is relative to your specific right. They don't put you in a big group anymore. Um, however, you're still going to pay more. So right. eighteen percent a year is capped. Um, but there are homes that are paying three or four thousand dollars a year now that are on the bay or on the ocean, that within five or ten years could see their bill go double or triple, wow. if their homes don't meet FEMA requirements for mitigation. Okay, being elevated, or um, if you're a commercial structure being wet or dry, flood-proofed. So um, they're they're actually moving forward very aggressively to cover the costs associated with storm reparations. Because right now, the federal government borrows from the federal government to pay those bills. Gotcha. So it's a uh, it's a kind of a hot topic in yeah. Congress. You know, and when you talk about subsidizing, I don't mind sometimes <laughs> because it protects us all because of the impact that has, that multiplier effect that right. has something right. happen. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask also, um, as we looked at what happened, the insurance, you, you had mentioned earlier um, about the New York Rising program. Mm -hmm. Are there still, is that still happening or is there still? Believe it or not, we're just closing out. We started the program in 2015 and we're just closing out some of the last, last um, projects we've worked on through a number, number of different reasons. Um, but whenever you're dealing with federal money that's being distributed through municipality to any number of consultants, things take time. And obviously, in New York, we don't do anything easy. Um, right, right. So um, the federal government invested through HUD, invested literally billions of dollars into storm infrastructure. Um, so our H2M's role in areas of um, Brooklyn and Staten Island, actually, in, in Sheepshead Bay, we actually did go in and redo infrastructure sewers, electric cable, uh, new homes for, I want to say, probably two or three different communities that prior to us getting involved were living, you know, with sewer backups every time it rained. Um, so now we've been able to correct that with federal monies right. and the cooperation of the city and the homeowners. Um, but that still goes on in a number of different places. Right. I was listening today to, um, to a, a podcast that talked about New York City. 60% of the city's sewers are combined storm sewers. Wow. Which means stormwater and raw sewage goes in, as okay. opposed to just sewage. Yeah. Um, and it's not pleasant when, we, when it overflows. No doubt. So it's no that. No doubt. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I thought I'd add it because I know there was a lot of frustration with that. I know there were a lot of people. That Federal dollars and, and people, whether it was New York Rising or because a big issue was if you're elevating your home and you've had a basement in your house and you're in a flood zone, um, in order to be conform, conform to FEMA requirements, you can't have a basement. No. So if yeah. it was a rental, you lose the rental income, legal or illegally. Yeah. Um, and if it's just if you used to have a house with a basement and now somebody's coming and taking it away from you, that's a bit of an issue. Sure. So a lot of it has to do with just adjusting lifestyle to where we live. Um, and because we're not used to those events, right. you know, tough, it's tough, a lot of tough decisions. Yeah. So, so that's, again, where, what do you see as our, our state of infrastructure and storm preparedness here on Long Island now, uh, especially the areas that had it you know, before seeing this type of weather and stuff? It's, I would be a little anxious. If I wasn't, if I didn't take advantage of some of the previous programs that allowed you to elevate, if you're on the water or on a canal, um, and eventually you're not going to have a choice because the federal government is not going to continue to, you know, put money forth on on dwellings and residences and properties that are continually, you know, asking for more help because they they don't conform to the current standards. Right. And as we see in the building code, you know, ten years ago, um, this code it's ASCE, it's an engineering code that talked about flood flood and flood mitigation. It wasn't adopted into the building codes in New York State as formally as it is now. Now there's a whole appendix just for flood, yeah, uh, flood mitigation. So you have no choice if you're doing work on your home that you you have to comply. Right. So it's a, uh, and quite honestly, it just gets too expensive not to. Right. Um, and, and as far as the infrastructure with the new, there was you know all the talk about the infrastructure bill mm -hmm. that was passed in Washington. Right. Um, is that making its way to anything that you're working on? It's 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 not not yet really. There's a lot okay. of talk about who's getting what funding and what the funding is going for, for. and it is looking at things like, you know, sustainability. So right. we have on the one hand we have flood mitigation, on the other hand we have sustainability and green power. Um, so we are looking at a lot of a lot of how to deal with electric cars, so charging stations, and um, how to get power to these places that actually don't have enough power pick up the charging stations right. um, new bridges and roads um, there, there is budgeted money specifically for storm hardening but it's that's another fight in Congress who's getting what you know, where's it going to how does it affect real estate values yeah. um, mm -hmm. so it's unfortunately it's been politicized and uh, you know we just need help you know you just we just need help and sure. I think that I, I'd hate to think that we'd have to be continually reminded through storm events right to actually push to make sure we get the help. Yeah. No, because it, it seems like, too, in the work you're doing, you can make so much progress, but if you don't back that up, one yeah. major storm again takes you all the way back. Exactly, exactly. And also, it also creates issues because if you drive around, even you know, even in the village of Babylon, if you go down south, south of Montauk, houses are up, houses are down, houses are up, houses are down, um, there has to be some consistency because now those houses that are lower present a danger to the houses that have been elevated relative to you know, how well are they built? And in a storm surge, you were going to get pieces of the house breaking, floating away, and damaging other homes. Or, right, right. So it does, um, it does present issues that like, we really have to address as a community. Yep. Yeah, and sometimes people aren't really crazy about the building code, but it does help to kind of point us in the correct direction. Got it. Got it. So is there anything else? What, what, what in your mind, what needs to be done or... We need to we need to continue to look and and you know the municipalities like the village of Babylon uh, whenever they see an opportunity to get grants or funding to help us um, you know educate the public okay 
if you can't elevate your home, what can you do with your gas and your electric service to make sure if we do get an event, you don't lose power right. or lose gas? Um, you know, just general education would not be bad because once again, people don't really understand always what um, what the, those events are capable of, and then where we're at in terms of soils, existing infrastructure for drainage. You know, how close our houses are together. Um, what what we can do to kind of just make everybody's life a little bit easier in the event of a of a unexpected event. Do you, do you work? Do you see it affecting the business community as well? It's uh, yes, actually, we're doing work right now in New Jersey, um, where uh, a theater was inundated during Ida, and they're trying to and you know. Public, you know, community theaters aren't usually flush with cash, mm. so they're working with FEMA to put the building back together again. Um, and the idea of mitigating and, and on, a, on the commercial side, we don't usually elevate buildings. We either wet flood proof them or dry flood proof them. Wet flood proofing involves uh, rebuilding with materials that can get wet, mm. but don't mold or create any significant issues from a structural standpoint. And dry flood proofing, uh, we keep the water out as much as possible right. so you don't lose beneficial use of the building. Um, and that's, um, once again, if you, uh, for building owners, if it affects their rent and, the, and the, the viability of the building, they're on top of it. Right. Um, if not, they're less likely to. But the big issue is a lot of the buildings we're seeing being damaged aren't in the flood zone. Okay? They're in a, in a low-lying area where you know, a significant rain event sure. will cause flooding or um, will do something to the soils to, to you know, undercut the structure. Right. So it's at that point, it's looking back and, and seeing, okay, we're in a spot where we could um, have issues. Let's make sure that our storm drains are clear, okay, and that we have, um, hmm. you know, proper, proper gasketing and, and, and our walls are okay and really just kind of regular maintenance on buildings right. to make sure that if there is an event, they understand, we understand how to deal with it. Gotcha. Um, so let's talk a little bit about H2M. And your company, and why don't you tell us a little bit about the services that you provide, uh, especially for municipalities, to help them uh, to prepare for storm hardening. So H2M is a, is, is a, a unique company. Um, you know, we're an architecture and engineering firm that has every discipline, every architectural engineering discipline in-house. So whether it's site civil, environmental, um, insurance, uh, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, structural, uh, we do all of that, hmm. uh, including planning for storm mitigation, uh, feasibility studies in terms of how to how to do flood mitigation or, or, or flood proofing, both on residential and commercial properties. Um, you know, we've got guys that are really good at drainage and grading, so we can look at, you know, ball fields that flood or parking lots that flood um, and put together plans to kind of remediate that. Sure. Uh, we also have a division that deals specifically with elevating homes um, and kind of keeping the public from a private standpoint out of harm's way and how to conform with we were speaking earlier about the reams and reams of information put out by the government you know how to conform to FEMA standards uh, what each municipality expects in terms of uh, applications and following through and building inspections and uh, completion of construction so we basically were versed on all that which kind of makes us a, a one-stop place to yeah. get a information B advice uh, would it let us come in and actually, you know, assist municipalities and or um, private uh, property owners to do the best they can to kind of at least know what to expect and have a plan in place for preparedness. Right. Do you, do you work too? Like I know, especially again, we keep going going back to Sandy because that's mm -hmm. what I think about uh, and the devastating <laughs> impact that had. 
But do you work also, or, or are you involved? I know they were talking about, you know, it goes all the way out to the ocean about right. controlling. Do you work hand in hand with? Yeah, we have. We we don't we don't work hand in hand with FEMA as much like a consultant. Even though we do, we can navigate navigate the systems. Um, but we, you know, for example, we were involved with the Bay Park um, sewage plant failure. Um, mm -hmm. We had guys within within. Within hours of the, the plant going down, we had engineers there and had it back up and running in 24 hours. So we have uh, the capability um, to assist municipalities. Um, right, right. Uh, we, we just finished working with New York City for over five years in terms of the Sandy issues hmm. under the Build It Back program. Um, and we actually have on-call contracts with a number of different municipalities in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Gotcha. Um, that's the on-call for those kind of issues. Um, and I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but I got to ask a question too. What are your thoughts around? I know when, and again, winds and elect, putting wires below the ground instead of. Don't even get me started on you know growing oh, okay. up, growing up on on the South Shore of Long Island. <laughs> okay. And you know, and I get it. You know, but look at if you look at photographs of like you know 1870s, 1880s Brooklyn with the overhead wires, right? Yeah. Um, and then you drive through the suburbs, and it doesn't matter North or South Shore, and you're looking at trees with big V's cut out of them so the power lines right. can go through. Right. Uh, it's just, it's, it's frustrating. And I understand that the infrastructure cost to put those underground would be significant. Right. Um, but at the same time, I don't know offhand what the cost is annually to send out the tree trimming crews, right, to cut tree branches to allow the power lines um, and the maintenance on the poles and the maintenance on the cables. And yeah. So I would love to see, actually, in the community I live, half of our street is, was built in the early 70s Everything's on the ground. Right. Half is kind of not. So then it jumps out of the ground and runs along the poles. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of frustrating. Yeah. Uh, our, our my clients, architectural clients, have issues, especially when you get closer to the water. You have a property with a view, and you spend all kinds of money on your house, and you come out to your second floor balcony, you're staring at a telephone pole and a transformer. So there is aesthetic issues with it, but mainly. You know, if we could get them underground, what a great, what a great, uh, a great idea. Yeah, no, and I just had to ask, and I know I've heard different things about the cost, or if there was a problem, you know, them getting to the problem. But I mean, we deal with it with pipes, I guess. Yeah, we have you know, like all your water pipes, right? All your waste pipes are underground, right? Uh, and many right. communities have underground conduit that uh, all these cables and electrical uh, wires are run through. Right. I know we can do it successfully. Right. Once again, it's one of those things Do we really want to, you know, if somebody came to me and said, I'll assess you another, you know, $200 a month for the next 10 years, is it that important to me? I, I don't know, but, gotcha. but we haven't had that discussion yet, so we should have the discussion. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's talk about what are the economic benefits to a, st a strong infrastructure plan? It's, uh, the, the biggest benefit is to not have any downtime or minimize downtime once an event has occurred. Right. So if we can, you know, from a municipal standpoint, from a private sector standpoint, if we can keep working, have access to everything we, we're normally used to having access to on a daily basis, um, it it's becomes less of an issue. You know, so for example, um, and I know most of our clients, if we're doing a, um, a refrigerated warehouse, we have generators in place, right? So if power goes down, they're not going to lose $300,000 worth of ice cream or frozen meat. But if you think about the small delicatessens and small supermarkets and smaller places that don't have generators sure. and they lose power for a day or two or three. Um, the economic impact for those folks is significant. I mean, for us, we just go to a place until we can find a frozen burger. Hmm. But they, you know, that's their livelihood. Yeah. So if you look at it at that, at that level, 
and the fact that, I don't know, it's the, the statistic is 70 or 80% of, of, of business in this country are small businesses that rely on those services. When, when there's an interruption of that service, it really significantly affects their livelihood. You know, we have to really do better than that. Yeah. It's a, um, you know, the, the, larger, the larger organizations, once again, can, hospitals have generators, right? All critical infrastructure have generators. Um, but there are also people that, are, that aren't well. Right, that, yeah. that rely on uh, constant power or at least having be able to get in and out of their house on a regular basis. If they can't do that, it really has a severe impact on their right. day to day. Right. Um, I know my brother actually had put sol solar panels, solar but panels. he got the backup battery. And part of that was just he's getting older. And he goes, I can't see myself out there pulling on the cord for the uh, generator. For the generator, yeah. But do you see that as something? So, you know, so solar... It's taken time. It's taken time. And actually, it's, it's taken time. But you can see by the advent of electric, electric vehicles. Um, I know uh, Eversource, Ersted, and a couple of other larger players now have, you know, leases in place for their offshore wind farms. Um, so I think that that is going to be um, a significant uh, issue moving forward. Kind of the switch from fossil fuels to... New York State's banned gas ranges in all new construction right, right, residentially. Right. Um, so I think that that's, that's certainly coming. But we have, once again, it's life change we have to kind of get used to. Yeah. And we can have all this terrific green power coming into our system, but if our power lines are knocked down by a tree branch, can't really use it. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, uh, it's, it's, that's, so we have, right? So we've got these tremendous, this tremendous technology where we're pulling you know, wind power off the Atlantic Shelf and bringing it into the town of Brookhaven. But if a tree goes down in your front yard, you can't take advantage of oh, it. Oh, boy. Yeah. So it's just, a, it's kind of an anomaly that's, that I find really interesting. Yes. I'm glad we're talking about this, Sunday, that's for sure. And again, we are talking with Kevin Paul, uh, Senior Vice President, H2M Architects and Engineers. Um, so, Kevin, it, it's been great having you here. And let me it's, ask I, you. I, some parting thoughts. What do you? I, I really appreciate it. I think a the the fact that we're we're eight nine days into hurricane season. Um, <laughs> I think this is this is a good this is a good um, it's always a good reminder for people to be aware and sure. to you know reach out to the local municipality because I know I know Babylon has on their website right. um, uh, what you should do and how to get ready. Uh, they should also be looking at walking around the house and looking at things like. Um, what can come flying off in a windstorm, right? Whether it's a gutter or shutters or patio furniture, um, just to kind of keep everybody safe on that. Mm -hmm. Even the idea of a, you know, of a storm door that's not really secured properly and the wind catches it and wrenches your arm out of, out of joint. Right. So silly things, but these are all kind of day-to-day -day we take for granted. Oh, um, absolutely. So people just need to be aware, um, educate themselves. Um, feel free, they can reach out to any of us at H2M. They can reach out to me. My email address is pretty easy. It's kpaul at h2m.com. Um, feel free to reach out. Questions regarding storm preparedness, mitigation, um, sustainability, anything that has to do with some of the stuff we spoke about, Yeah, we'd be very happy to uh, share. Yeah, and I just want to uh, remind our listening audience, too, that um, we will have all of this information up, all of uh, Kevin's information up on the show notes, and you'll be able to reach out to him. Uh, or you can reach out to us here at the Babylon IDA, and we'd be happy to uh, forward that information and get it to Kevin so that he can get in touch with you. Um, but, Kevin, I, I really want to appreciate your, your being here today, and uh, really, what a great topic. And I also want to say to you, anytime, maybe in the future, you can come back and we can continue this conversation. I'd love to come back. love to come back and, uh, and chat. 
That's great. Exactly. No, you're great. Great guest. And uh, again, I want to remind everybody, you've been listening to Economically Speaking. My name is Tom Dolan. Have a great day. This episode of Economically Speaking Podcast was brought to you by the Town of Babylon IDA. To find out more information about today's topic, our guest, or to simply stay connected, please visit the show notes where you'll find all the relevant links.